people say that uh, uh, over a period of time they use the word closure and they use the word healing. I mean, that's common. But um, wounds heal. Uh, scars do not. And I think every Cheyenne and Arapahoes, too, are, they, they bear those scars on their soul, if nothing else. It's, uh, you're always reminded of it over and over. Uh, every year, in fact, the uh, Cheyenne Arapaho and invited guests who would like to participate do a run that starts a few days before the commemoration of the Sand Creek Massacre and ends up in the state capitol. Uh, I think it takes them about three days to run that distance. But that memory is kept alive by those young Indian runners and the runners who are maybe not Indian but support the uh, keeping that, uh, that story alive. The uh, visitor center that is there now, they're very, very open. And so when they have their park service meetings, it's kind of open invitation for any Cheyenne or Arapaho who would also like to participate or come to those meetings, they're, they're welcome to do so. When we um, set the land up, it came out to about 2,700 acres uh, after we finally decided, since we couldn't locate the exact spot of where each teepee was or which fire pit was, we enlarged the scope of the perimeter and took in a larger amount of land than was originally planned. And that satisfied the tribes. And through a memorandum of understanding with the Park Service, they've designated certain areas for ceremonies or certain areas for reinterment of remains if the tribes wish to use it for that. And um, so it's turned out to be you know, a, a terrible tragedy, but is a constant reminder of better, better times in the future for our children than they were for our grandparents. Well, of course, Sand Creek was just one massacre. There were many yes. and many others are not acknowledged yes. in any way. Are there still efforts to have other massacres and, and really what happened to the Native Americans? I suppose to yeah. have that history rewritten in many ways. Um, well, it should be. And, uh, of course, you know, Indians got blamed for a lot of things they didn't even do. The so-called Mormon massacre, which took place in the 1800s in southeastern uh, Utah, uh, Anglos dressed up like Indians and attacked a wagon train that was coming through that area, so it looked like the Indians did it. And that, that was not real uncommon, to blame it on the Indians. And in fact, uh, you know, Indians saw their land taken away uh, under the Fort Laramie Treaty. Our Cheyennes and Arapahoes were given 50 million acres. Uh, within 30 years or so, that was reduced to about 500,000 acres, because uh, treaties at that point were basically agreements at gunpoint. They weren't really treaties between two equal partners negotiating. And as they saw their land disappear and the buffalo being killed by the hide hunters and the gold seekers coming in after, was, after gold was discovered in 19, or 1858 in Denver, uh, the, the, you know, it was over and over and over. And so uh, there was some, in, some Indian warriors who retaliated when they saw their land being taken, their buffalo being taken. Even the city of Denver was was founded on, uh, illegally literally, it was on land that was never supposed to be a township that was Cheyenne land. And so um, when that did happen, um, there, there was sort of a let's kill them all attitude that developed among the, the you might say, the riffraff of Denver. didn't make any difference which Indian did it, or even if an Indian did it, as long as it could be blamed on the Indians, uh, they were out for some retaliation. The um, <clears throat> Shivington's forces himself, the... Colorado 3rd, which was a volunteer group, they were only enlisted for a period of 100 days. They weren't like regular army, even though Shivington had been regular army in the Union forces and had fought at Glorietta Pass, one of the last major uh, conflicts in the West between the North and the South during the Civil War. Uh, there were very few had any military training. And so when, they, when, when the 
President Lincoln authorized through Governor Evans at the time to form a militia to uh, help guard against any Southern sympathizers or any Indian encroachments. A governor uh, uh, of the state at the time, well, excuse me, not state of the territory, was looking for statehood. And so he knew if he could get rid of the Indians, that would help them get statehood. So he was a big supporter of Shivington's. In fact, Governor Evans wasn't even in the territory when that happened. He was in the east on a on a um, official business. And so Shivington pretty much did what he wanted. And when that militia was formed, they they picked up the dregs of society. They were barroom ballers and thugs and derelicts and drunks and everything else that were in his third Colorado Volunteers. It was called. Uh, when they were um, ridiculed by the press because they were just riffraff, uh, they were called a bloodless third because never been in a battle, and because they never had any military training, they didn't know anything about not killing unarmed non-combatants. I mean, that's a a standard procedure. You don't kill unarmed combatants in a in a, in a military campaign. And so these uh, these people were just out to, uh, you know, on a lark, you might say. Uh, when they went through Fort um, um, Lyons and they commandeered three companies of regular army to go with them, uh, one was uh, Captain Silas Soule controlled one of those, the, the regular army people refused to participate in the massacre. In fact, Silas Soule was one of them who wrote to Congress after the massacre and complained that Shivington's troops had just gone absolutely crazy there killing people and cutting off body parts, <clears throat> which they would then hang from their rifles and parade through Denver to the cheering crowds. One eyewitness told of a, a woman who was uh, so terrified, she she uh, cut the throats of her own two babies and cut her own throat rather than letting Shivington's men uh, butcher them. Uh, another eyewitness talked about a woman who was killed. Her She was cut open and her unborn baby was taken from her body and then scalped. I mean, that's how brutal it was. It was just beyond description with that brutality. But because of Silas Soule and several others, they sort of blew the whistle to the federal government. The federal government did involved in a hearing. The problem was the hearings in Congress were not until uh, the next spring. In fact, they happened just about a month and a half before the Civil War ended. And when they did that, then a lot of the truth came out. But by that time, the Colorado volunteers, who were only a 100-day volunteer force, they had disbanded. They were all over the place. Some had left uh, the area of Colorado and gone to other gold fields, and some you couldn't even find them. And so nobody was ever brought to justice because the federal government couldn't do it because they were no longer part of a military force. The civilian courts could not do it because when the atrocity was performed, they were part of a military force. And so, you know, through all the head-scratching, nobody knew who was in charge, and so they got away scot clean. Shivington, uh, of course, that tragedy when people really found out how brutal it was, that followed him around. He left Colorado, worked in New York for a while, in Chicago for a while, California a while, but that brutal uh, act of his did follow him around. And he didn't uh, actually die until 1894, but right till the end, he he uh, claimed that God had sent him on there, and, and it was, uh, you know, they'd done it in sort of in God's name, therefore it made it all right.